Let me keep going here. Uh, so today we are starting our uh, series called Stand, and we're going to be going through the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel's in the Old Testament. In uh, um, You kind of read the first part of Daniel's story. The last half of the book is kind of more of a prophetic uh, type of book. Uh, but we are going to be kind of sticking into the first uh, few chapters this morning, um, or through this series. We're not going through the entire book of Daniel. But what we're talking about, as you can tell in uh, the title there, is Stand. We're talking about standing. Week one, starting today, we're talking about standing out for God. Uh, week two, we're talking about standing up for what is right. And uh, lastly, we're going to talk about how to stand strong and how to stand firm in the fire. Clarissa is going to be preaching that message. I'm really excited for that. And the reason why we are doing this series is because we know that if you take a stand for the right things, check this out, church, if you take a stand for the right things at the right time, in the right way, you can change the course of your life and history. If you take a stand for the right things in the right way at the right time, you can change everything. You can change, you can change your life. You can change the course of history. Uh, you can change so, much, so many things. If you don't believe me, check this out. We saw this with Rosa Parks sitting at the front of the bus. Change the course of history. We saw this with the revolution that took place in Egypt a few years ago, the stance that changed history. We see it now with Nicaragua, with the tide turning because the young people are standing up for what is right, and because of a group of a university students is standing up at the right time for the right things in the right way, history is being changed. But with that comes with the flip side. You see, if, if we compromise with the wrong things, at the wrong times, for the wrong reasons, it can truly cost you more than you can ever imagine. Sadly, we see this when a gov government decides to compromise and let corruption set in. We see this with the entire dispute in the Middle East that started back in 2003. That's currently going on today. Parents, we see this when we compromise with our children. Parents, do we compromise? You bet we do. All the time with our kids. Don't believe me? Uh, will you stop crying? I will give you this piece of candy if it means I can have a second of quietness to myself. We compromise, right? But we think we won. We think we won until 8 o'clock rolls around and he says, now it's bedtime. You think they're going to bed? No. Because you compromised and gave them sugar in the first place, you've ultimately lost. We compromise. We're human beings of compromising. So this is why we're going through the book of Daniel, because I believe Daniel did so much in taking a stance for who he was and what he believed and the God he served, and he did it in such a way that I believe the church should model. He did, if you read it, the first few chapters, as he stands up to this bad guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, he stands up in such a way, in such a respectful way, it causes change in, in, the, in the history of Israel, but I also believe that we can take those same principles that he used to bring change, and we can bring change not only in our lives, not only in our community, but also in our nation. I mean, how long have we been praying for God to intervene on all those various things? A long time. But I think so many times the Lord is saying, you know what, would you, just, would you just stand out a little bit? Stand up for a little bit, because a lot of times I heard a pastor say it this way, if you want change... The cost is your comfort. 
If you want change, the cost is your security. You're going to have to step out a little bit. You're going to have to give some skin in the game for a little bit. And it's going to happen. It's going to be uncomfortable. You might get bumps and bruises, but guess what? The Lord is right there with you, but it's going to cost something. But for change to happen, you're going to have to stand out. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to stand firm in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this series, Stand, in the book of Daniel. So if you guys can turn your Bibles this morning, chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Chapter 1, starting at verse 3. We're going to get this recorded, so if you guys uh, miss out on this, or if you have a friend that's missing out and say, you know you need to hear this, you can check our website at therockmp.com. They can catch up on everything that we're talking about here. But as you turn there, let me give you just a little bit history. There was a, a king from Babylon called King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I, I grew up in an old Baptist church, and every time we talk about King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the teacher told us, and when I say King Nebuchadnezzar, you guys say boo. Like boo, kind of like what we booed last night when we saw them go back into the, the, the hall. We're like, boo, give me the game. Right? Was I the only one? Yeah, no, I didn't think so. So, but, but with King Nebuchadnezzar, he was just a really bad guy. He, he was just evil, and he was just evil to the core. Just a really terrible guy. But what he was doing is that he was conquering the known world at that time. And so his armies came upon Israel, and more importantly, the capital of Jerusalem, and just began to destroy absolutely everything. And he had a very cruel tactic, but it was effective. And what he would do is that he would use this tactic to let the conquered people know that they were ultimately under his ruling and they had no chance on getting out. See, what he did is that he would go to all the temples. Uh, if we think of Jerusalem, he would go to all the temples. He'd go in there and he would just demolish them. On top of that, he would make sure that he'd go out, go in those temples and first remove kind of what we would call faith symbols. Uh, us Christians, we kind of have that cross sometimes we wear. And uh, that's a faith symbol too. To the Jewish, it might be... It might be the menorah, it might be this or that or whatever it may be. But he'd go in there and grab their faith symbols, take them out, and just crush them into dust. And what he was ultimately saying to the Jewish people, he says, do you know what? Even your God cannot stop me. Even your God does not care about you. In fact, I'm crushing these into dust and just saying, your God doesn't even exist. But my God does. And not only that, he, 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 he didn't stop there. He took all the best and the brightest of their young people and took them back to his kingdom in Babylon. And what he did is he integrated the Babylon society into their behavior. See, these young people, they were given new Babylon names, which we're going to talk about here in a bit. And the government would intentionally indoctrinate them, uh, more, I guess we call it brainwash them, these young Jewish people, train them to become the future government leaders and advisors, not for Jerusalem, but for Babylon. Thus Babylon, the reason why he did this, is so that Babylon could keep on existing. Keep on existing. And so this is uh, really what he was trying to do, is that he wanted Israel to fade away in history, and it was a really smart move by King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have your Bibles, we get the screens behind us with them. It says this, it says, The king, Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, uh, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed in knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Sounds a lot like me. Um, you guys can laugh. That was funny. That was very prideful of me. Just kidding. Kind of. I don't know. 
Verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of food the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar kind of wrapped this all up. He had one of his main guys go into Jerusalem to essentially just kidnap the kind of the most likely to succeed at that time, bring them into his kingdom, brainwash them for three years. At the end of three years, then they can come start serving the king. Why? So Babylon could keep on existing. But the reason why this is so important, because this series is all about standing, standing up, standing out, standing firm, standing right. But to who? The government? No, this is not a sermon about revolting against our government. Uh, the injustice around us? Uh, not necessarily. We're going to talk about some uh, social injustices, but mainly no. I, I would say no. But to who? Let me ask you this question. Who is our number one spiritual enemy? You can say his name. It's not going like, to appear and look, ooh, no, it's, it's going to be all right. <laughs> But the devil, right? We call him Satan, Lucifer, the devil. Uh, uh, the, 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 in the scripture, calls him the, the, the shining light. I mean, all, all, he has tons of different names, whatever it is. But our number one spiritual enemy is Satan. Number one spiritual enemy is Satan. And more times than not, I have found out that Satan used these tactics, these very same ones that King Nebuchadnezzar uses, to get the people of God. You see, I think Satan is going to try to get us to think the way he thinks, to speak like he speaks, and to behave like he behaves. Because his main mission, he has one mission in this world and one mission only, is to get as much people as he can, including the people of God, to disregard the one true Jesus and what he says in Scripture. If he can get people to turn a blind eye to Jesus and his word, he's good to go. He's good to go. And let me tell you, and I pray this opens your eyes to really what's going on, because I'm not talking about this morning saying, oh, you need to hold on to your salvation because Satan might come by and just snatch it out of your hands. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking is about is how do we stand up when it seems like Satan is winning the war? How can we still have that hope? How can we still have that boldness? How can we still manage to find that courage to say, no, 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 no. Uh, that's wrong. That's not of God. That's not what I think he would want us to do. How do we do that? Right now, I believe that there is a constant spiritual battle hanging over us. And there's a constant spiritual battle fighting for our lives, our neighbors' lives, our kids' lives, our co-workers' lives. And what they're fighting is not for your physical life, but they're fighting for your eternal life. They're fighting for where are you going to be after you pass away from this world? Because as Christians, we believe that we continue on, right? Most of us would hope that, yeah, we're going to wake up in heaven. And let me tell you this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you accepted him and you know that he's the, the one way, the one true way, you're, you're fine. But what about those people who don't? Let me tell you, our job is not to say, oh, sucks for you. <laughs> See you later. In fact, I believe God calls us on a rescue mission. He says, in his scripture, he says, go out to the, I will say this time and time again, go out to the highways and byways, compel them to come into my house, meaning compel them, convince them, do everything that you have to do short of sin to get them to recognize who I am. More importantly, to have a relationship with me. Do what you have to do. 
Today we have these paranormal shows with like evil dolls and heads twisting and throwing up green slime. And uh, for some reason, they try to depict that who this is who the devil is. When we, Halloween's coming up, you'll see all these new movies coming out. The big one, The Nun, coming out. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm like a little girl when it comes to those. I see the commercials, I, pull, I, I, go, I go like this, la, 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 la. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. That's me. But for some reason, Hollywood is trying to convince us that, hey, this is what evil looks like. This is what the devil looks like. Let me tell you, if that's what the devil truly looks like, people wouldn't have a hard time saying no. Let me tell you what the devil does. He likes to lie. He likes to deceive. He likes trying to make things look better than what they really are. He's deceitful. He's a snake. And he'll do anything that he can to remain hidden until he strikes out at you and then convince you, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. If you don't believe me, read the first account in Genesis. What happened? I don't, it doesn't matter, Eve. Go, take a bite of the fruit. If God, if God really cared, if he really loved you, he, he would not care if you ate this fruit. In fact, he would want you to have this wisdom. And what happened? He made it seem better than what it really is. And we are, the, including myself, we are the most gullible people in the world because anything that seems too good to be true, we ignore the fact and we dive into it anyways. And that's why we're talking about this. Today, the attacks, I believe, are coming through our music that we listen to, through the movies we watch. And so this is why I would argue all day that it is completely impossible to be a sort of Christian sort of Christian. Uh, It's impossible to have any spiritual success and be what we call, what I call a cultural Christian. What's a cultural Christian? Uh, It's, I go to church, but mainly on, you know, Christmas and Easter, the big holidays, when my family wants me to go. Uh, I'm I'm not like the weird God people, you know, like some people like to take it too far. I'm not like them. I'm I'm more of a, a, a cool Christian. My parents are Christian, so I guess you could say I was Christian. I was born in this country, of course I'm Christian. Cultural Christian. I heard from a pastor say this once. He said, to be a successful Christian, I want you to hear this because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. To be a successful Christian, you need to work out and be fit spiritually. Let me explain, let me explain. It's like a guy trying to lose weight. Anyone here trying to lose weight except for me? I'm right there with you. I try, I lose, I gain more weight. It happens all the time. I'm the king of it. But it's like a guy trying to lose weight. A guy cannot say he's losing weight and successfully transform into a healthy lifestyle if he only enters the gym once a month and calls it good. It doesn't work out that way. No, if anything, he feels good for maybe for that day, then he wakes up sore the next and then forgets about it till the next month where he tries again. What does the guy need to do to lose weight to have a healthy lifestyle? Well, let me tell you. He needs to go to work out three to four days a week, minimum 30 minutes. That's what the sports science people say. And if he really wants to get at it, he'd hire a coach or a spirit, uh, uh, fitness trainer to help him out. After working out, he needs to adjust his eating habits. You have to make sure you eat less than what you burn because then you actually lose weight that way. And then you can't just stop there. You have to stick with the process for an extended period of time. And if this guy is all in... The process of being healthy, about six weeks later, he'll begin to see the results. This is why my first point for standing out for God is this. When we stand out, we have to be all in. 
When we stand out, we have to be all in. Just like being healthy, if you want to be, if you want to be effective in standing out for God, you must be all in with God first. Let me say that one more time, church. You must be all in with God first. You can't just be sort of in. You can't just be halfway in. You can't ride the fence or just determine when it's best for you to step in. You have to be all in from the get-go. Let me say it this way. One hour of church a week is not enough. <laughs> Let me say it. 45 minutes of church a week. Because some of y'all were 15 minutes late this morning. Ah, pastor just took a shot. Yes, I did. Happy to do so. But this is the gym where we can work out at. But it doesn't stop here. What do you do when you go home? What do you do when you go to work? You see, I believe you have to change up habits like praying alone with God, start a devotion, or here's a big one that I'm really passionate about. Join a community group and invest your spiritual life through the week. An hour of church a week does not work. Just like one time at the gym a month does not work. You have to exercise. You have to get your spiritual body moving to be fit. And then maybe see where success is at. Ephesians calls it dressing in the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read 11 and 13. But it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? What does that say? Be able to what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Notice that he says whole twice. You know why? Because you have to have everything. You can't just have just the breastplate and be fine. They might get you at the knees. You can't just have the shin guards and be fine. They might get you at the shoulder. You can't have the shoulder guards because they might get you at the head. You have to have the whole armor of God. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, again, withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? Stand firm. Stand firm. And we're going to see how we can do that right now. Look at Daniel 1, verses 6 through 7. We just talked about King Nebuchadnezzar. Now some familiar faces are going to step on the scene. This is what it says. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs, that's the guy that King Nebuchadnezzar sent to go and kidnap these guys, gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. So what we have, we have four boys from, the, from, from further study. We found out that these were truly boys. For some reason, when I was reading this, I always imagined them to be like young 20s. And as, after studying, I found out they're actually about 12 to 13 years old is when this, all this happened. So if you can imagine this, the age of what I would say, maybe sixth, seventh grader boys, was ripped from their families and taken to a foreign country, thousand miles from home. And these boys had absolutely nothing they can take with them except for their Jewish names. They had to leave their belongings, they had to leave their possessions, had to leave their family, but they still had their Jewish names. And their names were tied into the worship of what they would call Yahweh, the one true God. That's what that means. And so the king says that these are not your names anymore. These Jewish names, no longer, because they represent who you think is God. We're going to give you new names, and these new names are really worshiping my God. And so he swapped and did the name swap, and, and not only did the name change take place, these Jewish boys had a custom diet set by Yahweh, and so they can only eat certain foods that were blessed by Yahweh and stay from other foods, such like porks and other things. 
And the king said, enough of that, because again, that's all glorifying your God. You need to start eating foods that was blessed by my gods. And so not only that, you can eat of the king's table, which by the way, to me, that sounds amazing. The king's table, I'll have what the king's having. Why do you think he did it that way? Don't eat your foods, eat my foods. In fact, you can eat the food from my table. Take part of my foods. All of this is a mockery to God, and the king knew it, but didn't care, but someone did. Daniel. Daniel cared. Daniel went through all this. This is what I love about this. Daniel went through all of this without saying anything. You can destroy my temple, I'm not going to say anything. You can change my name, I'm not going to say anything. You can pull me from my family, but I'm not going to say anything. But this news about eating only foods that glorify your God and spit in the face of my God, uh, that's where we draw the line. I have an issue with that. This is what it says, Daniel 1.8. Look, look what he does. But Daniel resolved. If, you, if, if, if your Bible translation says resolved, circle that. That's really important. We're going to talk about that. Resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief eunuch, to allow him not to defile himself. Other translations said that instead of resolve, he asked permission. Again, circle that really big. To eat it. Why is this important? Because we humans are the kings of rationalizing bad decisions, going back to compromising. We love rationalizing bad decisions. We try to put them in a better light or try to hide their ugliness. In this case, eating the king's food it doesn't seem that bad. Again, I'll have what the king's having. And we could probably rash. I mean, if the story went different and Daniel, if the story says, and Daniel took part of the king's food, I bet you we wouldn't blame him. After all, he needs something to eat anyways. Everyone else is doing it. The king, the guy in charge, the, the, the one who's telling him to do these things, he himself said, you could eat this, so I've got his permission so if all this in my circumstances pointing to actually do it, uh, God would understand if I partake of this food. How many times do we do that? We rationalize bad decisions. Especially that last one, God would understand. Oh, you betcha, he understands. But does it glorify him? You see, the reason that we are here, the reason that we are born, the reason that we exist is the first and foremost glorify the God that we serve. Everything that we do, the words that come in our mouth, the, the, how we treat our bodies, how, how we treat other people, uh, how we live our life, the jobs that we work, and it, 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 it's all to glorify God. And Daniel knows this. Daniel knows all of this. And so he's not partaking of the king's food. He's, he's drawing the line right there. And this is all interesting. Why? Because of what Daniel chose to stand up for. He did not fight back when his name was taken from him, probably because he, he knew that they can call him whatever he wanted, but he knew who he was. He, he, but if he were to eat the food, it would not be defaming him, but it would be defaming God. It was a choice on his part. If he take part of this food, it would defame God. And not only is he choosing not to eat the foods that would defame his God, but Scripture says that he resolved not to do it. Again, some translation says he asked permission not to to do that. What does this mean? It means that his choice in standing out for God was not a last-minute choice. He chose beforehand, before the circumstance came up. He chose beforehand, exactly, a lifestyle. He chose beforehand. This is my second point. When we stand out, we have to predetermine. 
When we stand out, we have to predetermine. We can't just say, oh, we'll just see where the sales go. We'll just see what happens. Then we'll make a decision. Let me tell you, that's how he gets you. That's how you go down that slippery slope. For those of us this morning who maybe had a past of addiction and all, maybe, I don't know, substance, alcohol, pornography, whatever, we can relate to this very well. I say we because I've been there. We can relate to that because it starts out, um, I'll just go there and see what happens. I'll go to the bar. Even if I struggled with it, it's okay. Mm. It's okay, I'll get on the internet. Pops up, I'll just click that X on there, it's all right. I'm strong, I can do it. You are strong, but Satan also knows your weaknesses. You have to predetermine. You have to predetermine. You can't just see where things go. When you stand out for God, you must predetermine because if you don't, you will never make that stand. You must make that decision earlier. Well, Vaughn, what, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you. When, it, it, it can look like when you consume alcohol, you know where your cutoff is at. You're not going to say, oh, I'll just see until I feel a little something, then well, I'm good. No, predetermined. You're not going to go in and drink until you feel a little dizzy and then decide you're good. Predetermined. Uh, here's another one. Not having sex till you're married predetermine. Don't just get in his car and just say, oh, we'll just see where it goes. Oh, we're just kissing. It's fine. It's okay. Predetermine. Predetermine. Not laughing at other people's expenses. Predetermine. Not joining in gossip. Predetermine. I'll just talk with them. We'll just see. We're going to send them a prayer request. No, predetermine. All of which are choices that must be predetermined. But this also goes from the flip side. What about church on Sundays? Oh my goodness, today is a perfect example. I love it. Because last night the Husker game got canceled. And you know what popped up on my feed? It got rescheduled for 10.30 a.m. And you know what I said? Oh, Lord, no. (laughs) This ain't going to go well. I texted all my buddies in Nebraska, and I said, what are, you, what are your starting times? People from the time change are like, sucks to be you. We've got earlier ones. All my guys were like, oh, what do we do? Like, like, like it's, our, it's a kickoff game, and everyone's going to be there. What's going to happen? I mean, do we watch the game? I'm like, no, because, I mean, God spoke to us. Obviously, he's got a word to say. Do we preach really fast? Well, I already do preach really fast, but I stand up going over and over and over. I'm like, I've got no options here. What do I do? And this morning, God blessed me. He must have some favor on me, Phyllis. I don't know. But then he canceled the game. But let me tell you what would have happened if we did not predetermine. Half of us would have woke up. We would have said, well, honey, are we going to watch the Husker game or are we going to go to church? You wouldn't have had to ask that question if you would have predetermined. If you would make church a priority, I'm not saying be in church religiously and be, I'm not talking about that. But I am saying when it comes to spending time with God and God's people, predetermine. Make that a priority. Even if it's not, I'm just picking on that because that was just a good example. But this happens every Sunday. How many times do we get up Sunday morning, including myself, we wake up and say, do we want to go to church this morning? My wife has to say, babe, you're the pastor. You have to go to church. (laughs) But it happens all the time. But we have to predetermine in this life to make that stand. If you don't predetermine, you're never going to make the stand. What about spending time with God? Make that choice ahead of time. Make it a priority. 
Here's one that I have to do. I have to predetermine to keep my eyes from lust. Guys, let's be honest, and women too, because it's a huge epidemic with both of us. We have to predetermine to keep our eyes faithful. Predetermine. What's worse is uh, going talking about that. You know, it happens on Instagram all the time. It's kind of why I don't like Instagram, but I still, I have one to relate with people and those things. But I have sensors and all those things and my filters. But uh, if something came up on my Instagram, I have to predetermine, like, do I, like, delete it? Do I unfriend them? Do, do I ignore it? Or do I stop and gawk at it? Let me tell you, if predetermined does not happen, uh, stop and gawking at it usually happens with most of us guys and gals. We have to predetermine. What's worse than that is when I go to uh, professional sporting events. Oh, man, I love sporting events. The halftime shows are the worst. They're horrible. I had the opportunity to go to a Vikings game a year ago, and we had some amazing seats. Like, they, they were, like, super close. A, a doctor friend from Scotts Bluff came and picked me up. He had his own little plane, so I kind of felt like royalty for a little bit. He picked me up on his little plane. I call it my private jet. It was like a little, like, puddle hopper, and I was kind of scared half my life on the way there. But we go there, and we do this thing, and, and, I mean, we are so close to the field. Like, I can smell Adrian Peterson's sweat. I mean, that, like, for guys, I'm like, like, yeah, like, this is awesome. But I can see, like, everything, the game, the blood, and all that. I'm like, this is the best time of my life. And then it, right at the, there was, like, a foul or something happened, and then the slideshow came up and says, be sure to watch the Vikings cheerleaders at halftime. And I saw the Vikings cheerleaders are going to be right there where I am going to be at. And so I'm saying, what, what do I have to, like, what, what happens? I mean, because all my friends are from the Rock Church of Scott's Bluff. They know I'm the pastor. So it's not like I can you know, get away with, like, oh, we're just not going to, we, we can look and still be respectful. That's a, a load of crud. Yeah. That, that's horrible. That, that's, don't use that excuse. That's, that's bad. And so, like, I had, I had to sit there, and I had to predetermine. I had to predetermine, like, what are we going to do? Because in my mind, like, if my wife was at a game, and the half-naked men come up, and she's like, oh, yeah, woo, like, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that, right, guys? No, and so I had to predetermine. What are the, let me tell you what I did. It was the funniest thing. So when they first came out, I immediately did this whole thing. I'm the king of this. Let's just, uh, let's just look at my cell phone really quick. Look here. Okay. How many songs do they have? Although they're doing two songs. Okay, I can only look at my Facebook for so long. And so, you know why I ultimately got up? I got up. I got up. I didn't expect them to do anything. This is for myself because I want to keep my eyes on my wife. I got up and went gift shopping. Do you know what happened after I got up? Well, don't clap for me yet. You can clap for me. I'm just kidding. But after that, the rest of the guys got up and followed. Let me tell you something. When you stand out, when you predetermine, people will follow. People will follow. That's why we stand out. Not to really, not to really glorify ourselves, but so, so that people will recognize the stance that we're taking and people will follow. And the reason I share this is because when you predetermine your decision, especially when it comes to glorifying God, others will notice more times than not and they will follow your leading. When you predetermine these things in your own life, you will begin to see things change for the better. I firmly believe it. So Daniel, he predetermined his decision, asked the guy who was in charge if he could not eat the food, but he did it in such a way that I think we take a lesson from. So let's go back to scripture, starting at verse 12. This is what Daniel says. He says, do you know what? Uh, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Oh, Lord, I thank you that we are set free and we can eat meat and pork and bacon. (laughs) Verse 13, then let our appearance and the appearance of youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. 
and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. So what did Daniel do? He went to the chief guy, and he asked permission. He says, hey, uh, I get that you want us to eat, and just in all due respect, uh, we have a lifestyle that we are accustomed to. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't usually eat these foods. Would it be okay? I love this part because he did not start a riot. He did not pick up his picket sign. He did not say, sign this petition and overthrow. And he did not go on his Facebook and start all his da da da, all that stuff. He just asked permission. He says, Do you know what? Um, would it be okay if we want to eat this food? In fact, I'll go one step further. Let's just make a little wager here. He didn't wager. He just said, hey, let's have a little game, I should say. Let's have a, a little game. Let's test this out. Um, your people can eat the king's food. We're going to eat what we usually eat. At the end of 10 days, come and see us. Like, just look over us, do some tests, do what you got to do. See who has better results in our appearance, in our activities, our energy, and all those things. Then you can make the decision for yourself. If you come back thinking that, uh, no, that's not going to work, we'll eat your food. Let me tell you how faithful God is. It is amazing. It is amazing because Daniel didn't make a public protest before I go, go in there. Instead, he stood out in the right way. My third point is this. When we stand out, we do so in the right way. I was getting ahead of myself there for a little bit. We do so in the right way. Do you know what? Do you know you can stand up for the right things in the wrong way? Christians, we are notorious for this. Uh, Christians are notorious. We, we have Christians that will go out and bring, you know, signs that yell, turn or burn. We have Christians that take upon themselves to be like the Facebook Bible police. That if we see something, we just kind of take the sword of God and jab it into them in their social media accounts and say, this is what the Lord says, and, and do that. I mean, no, that's wrong. But Vaughn, it's right. Yes, but you're doing it in the wrong way. I had to learn this. I, I've been there. These are the wrong ways to stand out. But when we stand out, we must do so in the right way. The best way, the best example that I saw this and um, going through here, the best example that I can think of is a pastor. He built a brand new church. And he realized that after he built his brand new church, there was a section of the lot that he didn't realize that he didn't buy. So it was open for public use. Well, lo and behold, a strip club bought it. And he built a strip joint. So you'd go into your church, and you see the rock church right here. This is not us, but I'm using the rock church. See the rock church. But on the opposite side of the parking lot, there's a strip club right here. And so the, as the pastor, as I probably would, most of us would probably would, we're like, Lord, why is this happening? And our first reaction would be to what? Let's pray it away, right? We're going to pray it away. We're going to ask God to, to kill that business, and, and we're just going to do that. Well, he started doing this, having those prayer walks and all those things. Business was still there. So now he got even more bitter, and he was starting to pray against the people. He says, Lord, would you just, would you just take them away? It's ruining the church. It's, it's not good because people see the church here and the strip club there. And so the Lord spoke very clearly, and this is something that changed my mind. I pray it hopes it changes yours. The Lord spoke very clearly to him. He says, you know what? How about you stop praying against the people and start praying for them? Stop praying against. Start praying for Stop praying against, start praying for. We are so good at being known for what we pray against. But do people know what you pray for? Stop praying against, start praying for. You see, church, when you stand out for God, this is how you know you're standing out for God in the right way. The loss are drawn to you. 
I know that seems weird because Scripture says, you know, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. Yes, you're, you're right on. Because he's talking about don't just blend in, stand out. But when you stand out, when you stand out, the loss are drawn to you. Daniel, the guy, we're going to study for the next four weeks, he stood out in the right way. And because of his competition of eating different foods, the end story is this. He won. Scripture says the guard looked over them and found out that they were healthier and better nourished than the other guys who ate the royal food. And not only that, the king heard of it. And this is what says Daniel 1.19. I love this. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel and his friends. None of them were found like Daniel. Therefore, they stood before the king. Better translation, they have the king's favor. King Nebuchadnezzar, the bad guy. They have his favor. Why? Because they stood out in the right way. They stood out in the right way. Listen, church, because Daniel was all in with God, because Daniel made the choice beforehand to glorify God, Angie, if you want to come up, to glorify God, no matter what circumstance he finds himself in, because Daniel stood out in the right way, respected the people around him, God gave him and his buddies favor in the king's sight. A lot of times we ask God to, uh, to, to, to get us away from what we deem the enemy to be. Lord, my boss is horrible. Lord, my spouse is horrible. Lord, the, the president is horrible. Lord, uh, our politics are, Lord, uh, the community is, Lord, would you just rescue me for this place? And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. I put you there. Tune in right here, guys. Tune in, tune in. I put you there. Not to rescue you out, but so that you can stand out for me. You are there on a mission. You are there for a reason. What I love about Daniel and his three buddies is that they could have been praying the whole time, Lord, we're in this strange place. Would you take me out of Babylon? I miss my home. I miss my family. I miss my foods. I miss my name. I miss all of this, all this stuff. Not once did Daniel try to argue his way back to his home. But he recognized that he was put there for a purpose. And you know what? He stood out. He was going to stand out anyways. He was a, Jew, he was a Jewish boy. But because he stood out in the right way, at the right time, for the right things, things changed. And what he thought was the enemy, now the Lord gave him favor. And if you read, as we talk about for the next couple of weeks, if you read Daniel, you would realize what he did with that favor. The Lord intervened. Here's the thing, church. If Daniel and his buddies just blended in and went with the flow and kept their heads low, nothing historic would have happened. We wouldn't have been reading it right now. But because they did what they did, we're reading about it thousands of years later. Church, through your lifetime, this is where it's applicable to you. Church, through your lifetime, you are going to be tempted just to blend in. You're going to be tempted to keep your head low. You're going to be tempted to say, I just need to get through this life so I can spend glory with God. I just need to get through this life so I can wake up in heaven with Jesus. Let me tell you, God did not put you here just so you can just get through it. You have a mission and a purpose here. I like this saying, and I'm going to sum up today's message with this. This isn't me speaking. This is my goal, and I pray that you would apply this to your life. I would rather be remembered 
for standing out than forgotten blending in. I would rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten to blending in. If you blend in, nothing changes. And for some of us, that may be good because we're still comfortable. And if, that, if that's you, that's between you and God. But I read scripture time and time again, and let me tell you, the one thing the Lord says do not be in is comfortable. The one thing to not be in is comfortable. And church, here's the thing. The choice is yours. God is not going to force you. He's not going to make you. He's going to give you situations where you have opportunities to stand out. And the choice is yours. What kind of keeps me going, and I'm going to end with prayer after this, what keeps me going in this life, because I want to stand out. I want this church to stand out. What keeps me going is the story of Esther when Mordecai came up and says, would you do this? Would you enter the king's court and would you plead on your people's behalf to spare their lives? And she is thinking about, no, it's really uncomfortable to do that. I'm just going to go with the flow here. And Mordecai says something very serious, something that struck a chord with me. If you do not do it, God's going to find someone else to do it. Oh, that just hits me right here. Because it tells me God is asking you to do something. What a privilege it is. The God that we serve has a mission for you. What a privilege it is. God is asking you to change someone's life, to change the course of history. It may not be as big as Rosa Parks on the bus. It may not be as big as the things that we see with the revolutions. But let me tell you, if God asks you to do it, it's important. But the choice is yours. Let's pray.